Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith, and we're using as our guide the Belgic Confession of Faith. And this week, we'll continue our study of the doctrine of creation. Last time, we considered what the Bible teaches about the creation of the world, and today, with the Lord's help, we want to consider what the Bible teaches about the creation of the angels. And in this connection, I invite you to turn with me to the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 1, as we read the entire chapter, hear the word of God. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. Thus far the reading of the word of God. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Dear friends, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created the world and everything in it, and that he did so in six literal 24-hour days. He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created the oceans, the lakes, and the rivers, He created vegetation, trees, and plants, and flowers. And then God created creatures to live on the earth. He created the animals, insects, birds, fish, and man, all in their own image and likeness. But God not only created creatures to live on the earth, he also created creatures to live in heaven. And we call these creatures angels. Though not often preached about, angels are mentioned very often in the scriptures, usually in connection with the great acts of redemption. For example, Lot was delivered by angels from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Moses was given the law by angels on Mount Sinai. Joshua was encouraged by an angel as he prepared to conquer the promised land. Angels also figure prominently in the New Testament, especially during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and informed him of the birth of John the Baptist. He also appeared to Mary to inform her that she would bear a son. And an angel announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, after which the heavens were filled with the heavenly hosts, praising God. After the Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, we read that angels came and ministered to him. And when he was in Gethsemane, as he peered into the cup of the suffering that awaited him, an angel came and strengthened him. And when the Lord Jesus comes again, an archangel will shout, announcing his coming. So angels are very important. They play a very prominent role in God's plan of redemption, as well as in the lives of individual believers. But what exactly are angels? What do they do? And why should we know about them? You know, there are, there are a lot of false ideas out there today about angels. For example, there are those who teach that we can communicate with angels and that every one of us has a personal guardian angel. And most of these ideas are the product of man's own sinful thoughts. But we're not interested in what men think about angels. We must be guided by the word of God, as is true for every doctrine of the faith. So what then does the word of God teach about the angels? Well, we have a summary of this in Article 12 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Now, you may remember that the subject matter of this article is the creation. And last time, we considered the first part of this article, which deals with the creation of the visible material world. And today, with God's help, we want to consider the second part of this article, dealing with the creation of the invisible or spiritual world. And so my theme is the creation of the angels. And we'll consider, first of all, what they are, secondly, what they do, and thirdly, why some fell. Article 12 of the Belgic Confession of Faith summarizes the main teaching of the Word of God on the subject of angels. Now, what are angels? Well, angels are also called holy ones, or the host of heaven and the sons of God in Scripture. And they're spiritual beings created by God. And you notice two things about this very brief definition. First of all, angels are spiritual beings. That means they do not have a body like you and like me. They can assume a human body like the angels that visited Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, but they do not have a body of their own. They are invisible spirits. And we know that because in Hebrews 1 verse 14, which we read earlier, the writer to the Hebrews calls angels ministering spirits. Also, demons, which are fallen angels, are described as evil spirits. And that explains why angels do not marry or procreate. It also explains why fallen angels or demons cannot be saved, even if they wanted to. And the reason is because Christ came to save human beings, not spirits. Also, angels, since angels do not have a body, it's wrong to assume that they look like handsome young men clothed in long flowing robes with wings on their back. Uh, 
or, as is sometimes depicted in paintings, like plump little babies with rosy cheeks. What is more, we cannot even say that they have wings. Now, it is true that the Bible sometimes portrays angels as having wings. For example, we think of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees the seraphim, and with wings they flew. But we only read of this in visions, and in order to convey some kind of spiritual truth. But since angels are spirits, they do not, in and of themselves, have wings. They were not created with wings. Now, the second thing we notice about this definition is that angels are created by God. In Psalm 148, the psalmist calls on all of God's creation to praise the Lord, including the angels. And then in verse 5 of that same psalm, he says this, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they, that is all things, including the angels, were created. The angels, therefore, are not eternal. They were created by God. Now, when God created the angels, we can't say for sure. However, in Job 38, verse 7, we read that the angels shouted for joy when God created the world. And that suggests that they were created before God created the world. Now, the fact that angels are created beings means that they are finite. They're not omniscient, they're not omnipresent, nor are they omnipotent. They can only know what God reveals to them. They can only do what God gives them the power to do. And they can only be in one place at one time, although they can freely move from heaven to earth. Now, what is more, as creatures, they may not be worshipped. You may remember the time when the angel showed John the throne room of heaven, and John fell down at his feet to worship him. But the angel said, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, he said. And so God, not angels, are the only true object of our worship. Now the Bible reveals several more things about angels. It reveals, for example, that angels are rational or intelligent creatures. That means they are capable of thinking and reasoning things out. They also possess great knowledge. Now it's true, they are not omniscient. Angels do not know everything. They don't know, for example, when our Lord will return. Nor do they understand everything about salvation. Peter himself acknowledges that in 1 Peter 1 verse 12 when he says that the gospel contains truths which the angels themselves desire to look into. Nevertheless, angels do know an awful lot. In fact, their knowledge and intelligence even surpasses that of man. Second thing the Bible tells us about angels is that they are moral creatures. That means they know the difference between right and wrong. And what is more, like man, originally angels had a free will. They were able to choose to sin or not to sin, to obey God or to rebel against him. And we'll speak more about that in a few minutes. Thirdly, the scriptures tell us that angels are capable of emotion. In Job 38, verse 7, which we referred to earlier, it says there that the angels sang and shouted for joy at creation. And in Luke 2, verse 13, Luke says that the angels rejoiced at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in James 1 verse 19, James says that the devils or fallen angels believe in God and tremble. Fourthly, the scriptures tell us that angels are powerful creatures. Several times in the scriptures, they're described as mighty, although their great power is derived, of course, ultimately from God. And we know from the scriptures that only two angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, those great mighty cities. And angels, we know, will also be involved in the destruction of the earth just prior to the day of judgment. Fifthly, the scriptures tell us that angels are numerous creatures. And we don't know how many angels there are, but we do know that there are very many of them. We know that because they are repeatedly referred to in the scriptures as the host of heaven or the host of God. And that word host suggests a very large number. And in Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, we read that the Lord came from Sinai with ten thousands of saints. And the word saints here refers to the angels, not to the spirits of believers. And in Revelation 5 verse 11, we read that John heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. And in Hebrews 12 verse 2, we read that in heaven there is an innumerable company of angels. And so the point is there are a lot of angels, far more than we can possibly count. And since angels do not die, their number never decreases. Neither do they increase. It's simply not true, as is commonly believed, that when people die, they become angels. That is incorrect. When we die, our soul goes either to heaven or to hell until the day of resurrection when the soul will be reunited with the body and we shall dwell in either place, in either heaven or hell, to all eternity. But people do not become angels. The sixth thing that the scriptures reveal about angels is that they are regimented. By that I mean there are various regiments or classes of angels. The leaders of the angels are the archangels, Gabriel and Michael. And under them are the cherubim, the seraphim, the principalities, powers, and each of them have their own task and their own function. And what that is is not always clear from the scriptures, but the scriptures do tell us that there is some kind of hierarchy and organization among the angels. Seventh and finally, the scriptures teach us that angels are heavenly creatures, at least the good angels are, the unfallen angels. And by that I mean they dwell in heaven near the throne of God. Now, they also spend a good amount of time on earth, protecting and caring for God's people and doing battle against the forces of evil. Again, more on that in a moment. But their permanent dwelling place is in heaven with God. Well, there's so much more we can say about the angels, but this much is clear. Angels are wonderful creatures. There are no other creatures like them. And although they are not created in the image of God like man was, not even man can compare to them. The Bible says that man was created a little lower than the angels. And that means that the angels are superior to man, at least in wisdom and knowledge and in power. And as such, they testify of the great power of our God. Beloved, if God was able to create an innumerable company of such wonderful creatures, then surely he can do anything. And so let us trust in him. Let us magnify him. His works are great. Glorify his holy name. 
But now what do the angels do? What is their task that brings us to our second point? Angels, according to the scriptures, perform at least four functions. First of all, they honor, worship, and praise God continually. And that's their chief function. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah sees a vision of the throne room of God. And next to the throne were seraphim with six wings. With two, they covered their eyes. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And as they flew, they cried, Holy, holy, holy. In Revelation 5, verse 12, John describes the angels standing around the throne of God, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Angels never cease praising and blessing God. Secondly, angels serve as God's messengers. We think, for example, of the angel Gabriel announcing the birth of the Lord Jesus to Mary. Or the angel of the Lord announcing the birth of Christ to the shepherds. Or the angels that, have, that appear to the, to the disciples after Jesus ascended up into heaven, telling them that he would come in like manner even as they saw him go up into heaven. They serve as the messengers of God. They also carry out God's judgments. Think, for example, of the two angels who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Revelation tells us that angels will be involved in executing God's judgments on the earth as they pour out the bowls of God's wrath upon the earth prior to the second coming of Christ. They also serve God's people. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Now, they do that in several ways. They defend them against evil. Think, for example, of the chariots of fire that the servant of Elisha saw on the surrounding hillsides. They protect them from harm. Think of the two angels that rescued Lot and his family from Sodom. They help them. Think of the angel who delivered Peter from prison. And they also carry their souls to heaven. In Luke 16, verse 22, we read that when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, to be sure, we're not always aware of the activity of angels around us, and that's because angels are spiritual beings, as we've seen. And as spiritual beings, they are invisible, but they are active, and they're all around us. And as we saw a few weeks ago in the vision of Jacob's ladder, they are constantly ascending and descending on the ladder who is Christ, going back and forth from heaven to earth, executing instructions and going back to receive more instructions. In fact, the angels are present right now. Even as you're listening to this message, and as you gather together in your churches, angels are present in the church when the people of God are worshiping God. And we know that because this is one of the arguments that Paul uses as to why women should have their heads covered in the worship service. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10. He writes, therefore, this cause ought the, women, ought the woman to have power on her head. And then he says this, because of the angels. Now, leaving aside for a moment what Paul means by a woman having power on her head, and also leaving aside whether what Paul teaches here still applies to women today, if we leave all that aside, the point that Paul is making is that women should have their heads covered in the worship service because the angels are present. And so the idea seems to be that just as the angels cover themselves when worshiping God, 
so women should cover their heads in the worship service. The point is, angels are present when the people of God gather together for worship. Which, by the way, is another reason why we should be in church whenever the congregation gathers together for worship. If the angels are there, then we should be too. Now, sometimes the question is raised, does every person have his or her own guardian angel, as is often depicted in Hollywood movies and TV shows? And the answer to that question, I believe, is no. The Bible nowhere teaches that we each have our own personal guardian angel. In actual fact, it teaches something better than that. It teaches that not just one angel serves each believer, but that all of the angels serve each believer. Earlier I quoted from Psalm 91, verse 11, and in that verse, the psalmist writes this. He says, for he, he's talking about God now, for God shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. You notice that the word angel here is not in the singular, but it's in the plural. He says angels, not angel. And what is more, in the original Hebrew, the word you is in the singular. And that means God commands all of the angels to watch over each and every one of his people. Every believer enjoys the protection and power of all the angels at all times, in every place, in every circumstance, unless, of course, God commands his angels to withdraw their protection for his own reasons. Well, that then, in brief, is what the angels do. How wonderful that there are such creatures in the world today. How thankful we should be to God that he created them and he commissioned them and he continues to do so. Angels, beloved, are our friends if we are in Christ. They care for us. They care about us. And they will do anything that God commands them to do to help and to protect us. Well, sadly, however, this is not true for the fallen angels. And that brings me to my third and final point. The Bible teaches that sometime after they were created, some of the angels led by Satan rebelled against God. In 2 Peter 2 verse 4, Peter speaks of the angels who sinned, whom God did not spare, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And Jude verse 6 speaks of the angels which did not keep their first estate, but left their own habitation, whom he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, when this rebellion took place, we can't say Exactly. From what we can tell, it must have taken place shortly after the last day of creation. They could not have fallen before the last day of creation. Otherwise, God would not have said that everything that he had made was very good. So that begs the question, why then did some of the angels fall? And to find an answer to that question, we need to turn to Isaiah 14, the verses 12 to 15. And there Isaiah writes these words, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High, yea, thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit." 
Now, although these words were originally addressed to the king of Babylon, it's clear that they were ultimately addressed to Satan. We know that because Satan's name is Lucifer. And that word Lucifer means shining one or son of the morning. Originally, Lucifer, together with Michael and Gabriel, was an archangel of God. In fact, it's possible that he was even greater than the other two archangels. But from these verses, we deduce that Satan was not content with that. God, Satan wanted to be like God himself. And to that end, he led a rebellion against God and convinced many of the angels to join with him. Now, how many angels joined the rebellion, we don't know, although some have said as many as a third. And they base that on Revelation 12, verses 3 and 4, which says that the great red dragon, or Satan, drew with his tail a third of the stars of heaven, which is possibly a reference to the angels, and cast them to the earth. Now, that, of course, raises the question, what are these fallen angels doing? Well, they're doing two things, basically. First of all, they're busy sowing seeds of sin and rebellion in the hearts of men, women, and children everywhere. This started in paradise, where the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it continues to this very day. And this is why there's so much wickedness in the world today. It's because the devil and his angels are seeking with all of their power to persuade men to rebel against God just like they did. And they're very successful at it. Second thing they're doing is they're ceaselessly attacking the church and the people of God. The Belgian Confession brings this out when it says, and I quote, The devils and evil spirits are so depraved that they are enemies of God and every good thing to the utmost of their power as murderers watching to ruin the church and every member thereof and by their wicked stratagems to destroy all, end quote. So the devil and his angels have only one goal and one purpose, and that is to frustrate and to undermine the work of God and to attack the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every believer can testify of that. Child of God, why is it that you are so often tempted and fall into sin? It's because the devil is attacking you, seeking to destroy you, like Peter, to sift you as wheat. Peter says he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Well, what's the solution to this, you say? To whom then can we turn for help amidst such wicked opposition? Well, beloved, there's only one place we can turn, and it is to the Lord himself. We must cry out to him. Only he has the power to overcome the devil and his dominion. And he proved that during his earthly ministry when he cast out demons and the demons even fell down before him and worshipped him. They had no choice because he was and is the Lord God of heaven and earth. And he received this great power from his Father in heaven by dying on the cross and rising on the third day. Christ earned for himself power over all of his and our enemies. And therefore... Beloved, we don't have to be afraid. If you're in Christ today, the victory is ours. And we shall overcome and we shall live and reign with Christ forever. But if you're not in Christ, then you will not overcome. You will not overcome the devil. Rather, he will overcome you. And so you see, you cannot live without Christ, my friend. It's only in Christ that we can achieve the victory. It's only in Christ that we can overcome. Oh, are you in him today? few minutes ago I said that the devil and his angels will be cast into the lake of fire and there they will be tormented day and night 
But do not think that that punishment is, is reserved only for the fallen angels. It is not. This is the punishment that awaits all who refuse to repent and believe the gospel. And oh, I plead, do not let that happen to you, but turn from your sins and live. This is why the Lord Jesus came into the world. He did not come to save demons. He came to save sinners like you and like me. And he's still willing and still able to do this. Oh, will you come to him? Will you believe on his name and be saved? Amen. Dear friends, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, please let us know. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.